this week at work in London, um, I've been hosting an international forum um, of people, uh, church leaders, some denominational leaders, from uh, a number, it's just, it was a, a smallish one, there's about 60 people there, so it wasn't huge, but folks from Australia and uh, Denmark, Holland, the USA, Ireland, South Africa, and then some Brits. We had a great, it's tiring, but it's been great. And um, one of the folks who came across from Australia is Sam, Sam Jackson. Um, over the years, Sam's become uh, a friend. And uh, when I was over in Australia um, a little while ago, um, I had the chance to speak at Sam's church. And so he asked if he could have the permission to do the same because it was so bad when I did it to his church. Um, the subsequently, he left. And, um, and could he do the same damage to the church that has been here? When I was going to Sam's church, it was like um, the, 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 I, I, the guys who were, were driving me there, as they were driving along, a kangaroo hopped across the road. It was like quintessentially Australian. Um, and um, I don't, we haven't got the equivalent, really. A squirrel. <laughs> a squirrel. <laughs> yeah. A what? A teenager on a stolen bike or a squirrel. Um, but uh, Sam's, uh, Sam's become a good friend and um, I've asked him to I, I invited him to come and speak because I knew he'd be a blessing to us but also just to come and reflect on um, what God's been doing in and around him and through him and in the church in Australia sometimes one of the brilliant things this week um, about getting these folks together is um, wherever we come from we kind of we try to do the same thing we're trying to say, what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus who are living this out in our everyday lives? Our contexts are so very different, but actually, we're in it together. And um, I think every now and again, you get a glimpse of what eternity might be like. And at times this week, I just, I mean, it's just my, my experience, but just that thing of where you saw people from very different uh, sort of context, just talking together and sharing their own heart. And you think, I think this is what heaven will be like. And that will be brilliant. In the meantime, we have to listen to an Australian. So um, I'm going to hand over to, to Sam. Why don't you welcome him this morning? Well, thank you very much. It's been incredible being here this morning. I, I have heard so much about Salford. Um, I said that to someone this morning, I said, what, all of it? Uh, yep, I have, I've heard just about all of it. Um, it's, it's great to be here. Uh, the story of Salford is being told all over the world. I, didn't, I don't know if you knew that, but um, it's incredible. Um, so I thought uh, before I get into uh, actually preaching the Word of God that I'd share a little bit about myself. Um, so I'm Sam, I come from a town called Toowoomba. Uh, has, anyone, has anyone ever heard of Toowoomba besides Neil? Yeah, has anyone been there besides Neil? <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Um, I have a picture, actually, the first, the first slide. Uh, do I need to click that? It's all right. It'll come up eventually. No, that's not it. That's it. Oh, I'm now. I'm, yep, there we go. That's my city. Uh, I've been living there for just over eight years. I have a wife and four beautiful kids who I miss a lot at the moment. I've been away from them for just a week, but um, really hard to uh, say goodbye, but they'll be right. I'll be back soon. Father's Day in Australia isn't until September, and it's a much bigger deal than it is over here, which I really appreciate. <laughs> we get lots of gifts and breakfast in bed and all that sort of thing. So, do any of the fathers get breakfast in bed this morning? Yeah, great. Okay. 
Very good. Excellent. Good stuff. <laughs> toast. <laughs> Not even an egg on the toast. No, just, okay. All right. Okay. Toast. And was it thrown at you or served? Like, thrown. Yeah, okay. <laughs> thrown toast. Good. All right. Yeah, much bigger deal in Australia. Um, so um, we moved to this city uh, from Brisbane, which is the capital of Queensland. We moved uh, west to Toowoomba about eight and a half years ago. And we moved with a really clear call to pastor a Baptist church. Uh, I came as associate pastor uh, eight years ago and within three years became the senior pastor. And the whole time was, it was really clear to me that my call was to those people in that church. As I became senior pastor, what starts to happen in, in cities of Australia, particularly in Toowoomba, is you start getting invited to all these um, things that senior pastors get invited to, that associate pastors don't get invited to. As an associate pastor, I was really thankful for that because I, you know, don't like socialising much as a pastor. Um, so I started going along to these, to these events that were a bit, uh, where I've started to meet pastors from other churches and other denominations and all this sort of thing. And what's, what God started to do in me was start to give me a bigger vision than just my church and just me as the pastor trying to build up what I thought was best for our church and the programs and the ministries that would run in there. What God started to show me was a vision for our city and what was possible when not only my church but all of the churches of the city started to work together to see the city blessed, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city together. And it just blew my mind, blew my mind completely. It was, it was a bit overwhelming at, at the same time, but really exciting too. And uh, since then, I've finished up at that church as senior pastor and have just started a new role. I started three weeks before I came here, so don't ask me how it's going. I said earlier, I'm still trying to figure out if it's a real job or not, um, where I'm based at a church three days a week, but really um, my role is to try and bring further strategic collaboration across churches and across non-for-profits and across other things to see our city in peace and prosperity. So it's, it's an exciting role. One of the things that we have really um, come up against in our city, and I'm sure it's exactly the same for you guys here actually, is the, is the pervasive harm that pornography is doing in our city. It's huge. Um, and I've got a friend who uh, works in high schools with young teenage girls. This friend is a, is a woman herself. Um, and she uh, constantly, constantly, constantly comes up against pornography as being a common denominator uh, for these young girls who are copying texts from their boyfriends, asking for ridiculous things in reply. Um, just, just a whole lot of stuff going on in the lives of these young girls that keeps coming back to pornography. So one of the things we started uh, in, in our city was a campaign that we ridiculously called the City Free From Porn. Yeah, and that we, the laugh, we got a lot of laughter actually. We thought, a lot of people who thought it was ridiculous. We had a few uh, uh, competitive campaigns come up. One was called the City Free From Corn. There's a Facebook group that started, I don't know how successful they have been because I still have the odd cob of corn with my dinner and it doesn't look like it's disappearing. Um, we had interest from the French president. The office of the French president called up and said, uh, what you guys are doing, I want to do for my country. Um, but he didn't get re-elected. He got booted out not long after that and so that didn't go anywhere. Um, but um, So we started, uh, we got in the ear of our mayor, the mayor of Toowoomba, who is a great man. He's a real father figure in our city. He's sort of ditched the politician role and has become a father for the city, which is just a phenomenal role that a mayor would play. And uh, he has a, a rally uh, once a year that, that we help him organise. And we're coming into our fourth year now and it's, this, it's, the, it's the mayor's rally to see pornography, the, the harms of pornography and awareness and education around the effects of pornography um, really diminish in our city. So that's one of, the, one of the things that we're doing to try and bless the city. It's been really hard. 
And there's been many times when I just want to check out and not be a part of that anymore because it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, that friend who I mentioned before, she's in Washington, D.C. at the moment and has just told the Toowoomba story to um, an international gathering on the, uh, 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 the glo- uh, what is it? The glo- global sexual exploitation, trying to end sexual exploitation across the world. So um, it's, uh, it's great to be a part of that, um, but really it's all under this growing conviction that the church exists to bless the city in which it's placed. Um, rather than just simply build up itself and build up its programs and its ministry to, to try and uh, give the pastor some pride in the church that he leads. I know that's not Salford Elam because I know Neil well. And I, I want to uh, really make a point of thanking you as a church because um, what, what you're doing here and what's happening here is actually educating the world. Um, the story that is being written here for Salford Elam Church in this, in this city um, is being told across the world, as I said earlier, and, and your, your love and your support and your release of Neil is phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, he's been an incredible support for me. Uh, we catch up on Skype a few times a year, and I had a pretty rough year last year, and if it wasn't for Neil's wisdom and his love and his care, I'm not sure I would have got through it as well. So thank you so much for who you are as a church and for what you do for your pastor and his wife. It's incredible. Thank you. Good stuff. Okay. I don't know uh, if you're aware of who these two guys are, um, and you're probably aware, as aware of Australian politics as I am of British politics, although being in my hotel room in London this last week and putting the news on every now and again, it's dominating the headlines, right? There's a lot going on around uh, your political situation. But it wasn't long ago that these two guys, uh, leaders of the two major parties in Australia, contested another Australian election. Uh, we've had about six different prime ministers over the last seven years. It's just been a joke, really. It's been ridiculous. Um, and uh, this, this campaign was no exception. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of uh, the political situation in New Zealand, but I think most people in the Western world want to move to New Zealand and just live there from now on because they seem to be the ones that have it all together. But all across the world, here uh, in the US, in India, Australia, the politics are just going crazy, it seems. But let me tell you a little bit, um, so at least if you take something away from this morning, you can talk to your friends tomorrow at work about how, how much you know about Australian politics and they'll be wowed at your uh, deep intellect and, and your knowledge of the world scene. But uh, the guy on the left is Scott Morrison and the guy on the right is Bill Shorten. And uh, these, the leader of the Liberal Party, which is like the Conservative Party. You get your head around that, okay? We, we, it's weird in Australia. Liberal is Conservative. The guy on the right's Labor, which is uh, socialist, uh, left-wing, left-leaning, all that sort of thing. So these are the two parties. And these two guys really contested uh, the last election. Australia went crazy over it. We don't, we, we, a lot of mudslinging, all this sort of thing that pol- pol- the political scene has just become in Australia. It might be similar here. Um, but the people who went really crazy were the Christians. And the reason that they went crazy is because of this. That is Scott Morrison, the guy on the left, the leader of the Conservative Party, worshipping in a church service. And that's pretty passionate worship, right? He's got his eyes closed and his hand raised. He's not a Baptist, obviously. (laughs) But he actually took a camera crew with him into his church service and had them film him, which for me makes me cynical. But anyway, this is why we went nuts. um, Because so many of the Christians in our country were like, 
God is blessing our nation with a Christian prime minister. We're going to have revival. We're going to have everyone come to faith and we're going to have a Christian nation. It's going to be fantastic. They might not have used those words, but it was certainly what they meant. So it was interesting uh, watching my own Facebook feed um, in this time of campaigning because you had a lot of people who wanted to do this and at the same time do this. And so, you know, all of the, and, and then when the guy on the left actually won the election, my goodness, my, my Facebook feed went crazy. Well, at least half of my friends, and I'll get to the other half in a minute. Half of my friends saying, oh, God's answered our prayers. Oh, you know, there's hope for our nation. Revival's coming. All the stuff I said, they, they went into a frenzy of, of prayer and elation and joy that the fact that we had a Christian prime minister. But there were some of my Facebook friends who um, did the reverse and felt that, um, this was the case. And so when, Bill, when uh, Scott Morrison won the election, there was despair. There was an outcry. What about the refugees? What about fair, fair deal for workers? What about all these issues that the, the Liberal Party didn't, didn't focus on, but the Labor Party were? What, what about all this? And uh, it was interesting to watch that feed, me being quite politically ignorant and on the fence while I didn't really have an opinion. I started to think, though, you know, as, as Christians, really, the Christian vote is Jesus, right? I mean, that might sound a bit simplistic, but I felt like, no, we, we're of a different kingdom. It doesn't really matter who sits in power. We serve Jesus, and, and that's our Christian vote, no matter who is on the throne. But what really, what really troubled me the most, actually, was people who saw the opposite picture that I had before, ScoMo with the halo. Sorry, Scott Morrison is shortened, as we do in Australia, to ScoMo. You take the first, maybe this is an, take the first three letters of your name and the, and the first two letters of your last name and that, that's your Australian, um, it's your Australian, what is it? Okay, maybe. I didn't think that, I just thought that on the spot, I didn't think ahead with that. But anyway, that's ScoMo. When ScoMo won, the, the, most, the most concerning Facebook post that I saw was from a Christian person who was elated that we had this Christian Prime Minister. And they wrote something like, I just breathed the biggest sigh of relief when Scott Morrison was elected. And knowing this person, the, the mentality they were expressing was, as a Christian and as a member of a church, I'm safe, I'm secure for another three years at least. And it just, it, it actually really angered me. It really grieved me because I thought, that's not the posture of the church that I see Jesus talking about. We're not meant to be in this posture of self-protection. We've got to get the best deal for us so that we can continue to do what we want to do and be comfortable doing it. That's, that, that's not the priority I see from Jesus and his church. I mean, it's nice, right? It's nice. And, and when you vote, you think about that and it's great to have a vote. It's great to be able to vote and all that sort of thing. But that reaction of we can relax and we can settle again. And I thought, my goodness, the, the church in Australia is so lukewarm. We need something to shake us out of it so that we can get serious about what we're meant to be doing again. And I say all of this to ask you the question, because I don't, I don't really know, like I said, the political situation in, in the UK. My, my slides aren't quite translating. You're meant to see seven there. Um, but as, mar, as much as I can make out, you have, no, you have no control over who's the next Prime Minister, right? That's happening internally within the party. So whoever gets in, and I know Boris is, is way out in front and that's looking likely and I, I won't make any comment about that because I don't know him that well. You can, um, yeah, there's a few sniggers. <laughs> but it looks like it's going to be him. 
But whoever, whoever comes to power in your country, I think there's going to be some sort of implication, some sort of consequence, some sort of ramifications for the church. There's going to be consequences for you guys and what you can and can't do. Now, they might be minor, but they're still going to be them. Certainly, if we had have had the other guy win our election in Australia, it would have been huge ramifications for the church. Huge ramifications. But it makes, it makes me think about, okay, in this situation that we're in, in the world today, what, what's the rea- what should be the reaction of the church to external things like this? What should be the reaction of the church when these external political things happen? And we're, we're not without example in this. And I, I love the prayer in Acts chapter 4, which is where I want to take you this morning. Because this is a prayer prayed by the, our mothers and fathers in the faith. Faith, faith. These are our ancestors. These are the people who went before us. People who we're related to because they're children of God like we are too. And this prayer in Acts 4, in a situation, a context that, yep, very different to ours. But still, it was their response to external pressure. How did they respond when they were under this external pressure? I think this prayer is so relevant, certainly for our context in Australia today, and I, and I suspect it would be relevant for you today as well. Because I say again, this, this posture of self-protection, I don't think is Jesus' plan for his church. His plan is not to draw the church into this self-protective little cocoon where we can do what we want and be comfortable doing it. And actually, I think history shows that the church does its best work from the margins, not from the centre. So just to give you a bit of context, this is, this is the situation we find our ancestors in, our, our mothers and fathers in the faith. They're in a room praying together, and the reason they're praying together is because Peter and John have just come back from incredible death threats. The powers that be of the day have said to them, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. Now, that's extreme, right? That's not, we're going to take away your right to rent a building. We're going to take away your right to pray in public. We're going to take away your right to do whatever. They say, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to end your life. That's how we're going to deal with you. And so they come back and they tell the rest of the believers who are gathered in a room together, this is what's just happened. This is what happens next. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. And I'm in verse 23, by the way, of chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and... I'm going to stop there. So they've just told each other the situation again. This is what's happening. It's going to be hard work from here on in. Now, if you're in the room and you get to this part in verse 29, let now, Lord, consider their threats and I wonder what you pray next. I wonder what your next prayer is. What's the next sentence to come out of your, out of your mouth? And I want to suggest to you that there's kind of three general ways that you could pray next. Four, sorry, four general ways you could pray next. And I want to take you through them to think about how, how do you react to external pressure? The first way 
that I think you can reply, respond is with nothing, with silence. And the reason you're silent is because you've left the room already. Peter and John got back. We keep talking about Jesus. They're going to kill us, right? If that's the deal, I'm out. I don't like this. I thought this was just a sweet deal to get me to heaven. But pressure, uh, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to put myself in danger. I'm not going to put my family in danger. So I'm, I'm out of this deal. So you don't, you don't pray at all because you've left the room already. This is the pressure that you're under. You're like, this, 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 this committing to the mission of God thing is too much. I want to just take my, my slice of heaven when I get it. But in the meantime, I just want to blend in because I don't want to be distinct at all. I don't want people to know anything about my faith in Jesus. I don't want uh, to put myself in that situation. So I'm just going to blend in. I'm going to lose all my distinct identity to keep myself safe. I don't want to be in this room right now. It's the first way you might respond under external pressure. The second way, Lord, consider their threats and take them out. Take them out. I've been in prayer meetings where this sort of stuff has been prayed, by the way. Let them have what's coming to them. They stand against you, God. Let's get all Old Testament on them. Just take them out. Get, get, the, get their pollution out of our community. Get, get that away from us. Protect us pure people from their influence because we don't, we don't want to be infiltrated by them. Give us control of everything so that we can dictate holiness and purity. Give us a Christian prime minister. Take out our enemies. I just think it's, a, as a bit of a side note, I think it's a real failure to understand the power of Jesus when we think, that when holiness and evil come together, that somehow evil stains holiness. That's a mistake. <laughs> I mean, the, you look at the life of Jesus. When, when holiness and evil come together, evil is blown away and pushed out by holiness. And so as, as believers in Jesus and, and as, as his people, when we, when we really grasp the holiness, not of ourselves, but of the one we worship and the one who lives in us and through us, we can encounter these people who would stand against God and believe that holiness pushes back evil. But still, there are some who would pray this. God, consider their threats and take them out. Take out, I don't know whether I should name some of the people groups who I might be thinking of. You can, put, you can fill in the blank. Take out those, that people group. Take out that people group. Take out people of that religious belief. Take out people of that lifestyle. And like I said, I've been in prayer meetings where that has been prayed. I think this next way to pray is probably the most common. Lord, now consider their threats and bless us, Lord. Bless us. And what do we mean by this? We actually mean build up the church. We want to build up the church. We don't worry, we don't worry at all what happens outside of the four walls here. What we want to do is build up our ministries we want to build up our programs and we want to prepare this place to receive all of those people that God's going to convert out there to bring them in here and make them comfortable and make them like us. That's the way we're going to respond. So if you think of, just to, just to illustrate this, and this is a bit of my story actually when I grew up in the faith in my early days. So you know how the Samaritan woman comes out of her village and she meets Jesus by the well? What happens next for her is she goes back to her village and tells them about Jesus. What I think this is, what this attitude is, is actually never returning back to your village, but actually creating a new village in which Christians live. 
And so what you're trying to do is get people to leave their village and join the village which we call the church and have no desire to ever go back out there. We just want one-way traffic, people coming in. So we've got to build up the church. We've got to build up the ministry of the church. And if your church is like this, which I know this one isn't, what becomes most highly prized and valued by the senior pastor is your contribution to the church. So the celebration is of the youth leaders and the music team and the preaching team and the welcoming team and all those people who contribute. You never hear anything about what happens Monday to Saturday. You never hear anything about the lives of people outside of the ministry of the church. And this is a prayer that we pray. Lord, consider the external situation and bless us, build up the church. That's what we want to see. So you might pray nothing because you've left the room. It's too too hard. You might have prayed, take out our enemies. You might have prayed, bless us, Lord. The final option is actually what they prayed, which you can't see on the screen there, so I'll read it to you. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus I love verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And as a Baptist pastor, I've been praying that would happen in the churches I've led for such a long time, but it hasn't happened yet. We build our walls pretty strong. But what are they showing here in praying this? I think they they understood that they had a call on their lives that, that was the mission of God. They understood what they were in the city to do, what their purpose was. And I see some features of this prayer that I want to share with you to encourage you to think about when, when external things are going on in the city in which you're placed or in the country in which you're placed, the mission of God is still the thing that propels us and compels us uh, out of the walls of the church to be salt and light in the city. There are a few features of this prayer to highlight. The first thing is they remembered the sovereignty of God and they remembered that his story is the one that will prevail. You know, in, in that prayer, what they open up with is, God, this is what happened. Even though everyone has stood against you, still your ways have prevailed. Your story is the one that will unfold. It doesn't matter who's the prime minister. It doesn't matter who's on the throne. It doesn't matter who, who is doing what. Your story is the one that will prevail. And, and we are caught up as your people in your story. And I love that there was one, there was one uh, commentator that I read who said, when they were gazing at God... They only need glance at their problem. When they gaze at God and they gaze at his sovereignty and his majesty and his holiness and his power and all that sort of thing, all they said was consider their threats. And, like it's, a little, it's a little three words, consider their threats. And, it's just a glance, their problem. I think sometimes we just gaze at our problem and we gaze at God in the hope that he'll fix it. <laughs> but no, for, for them, gazing at God glancing at their problem, getting on with the mission of God in the city. That's the first thing I notice about their prayer. They remembered the sovereignty of God and his story. They knew the author of the one story that will be written for all humanity, all history of humanity. Second thing I notice is that they were unified. You know, if you go back to um, earlier in the passage, it says they raised, let me find it. Um, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I don't think what happened, although it might have, I'm not sure, that by the Spirit's uh, leading, they all suddenly prayed with one voice in unison. 
You know, like the words weren't up on the screen. They didn't have a screen back then, but the Spirit moved them to all pray this prayer with one voice. I don't think that's what would have happened. I think it would have been one person praying and a lot of, yes, Lords, amen, hallelujah. Or if they were Baptist, a lot of, hmm, 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 hmm. That's as expressive as we get. So they were unified in this prayer. There wasn't this prayer competing going on unless, the, unless you were one who left the room. You didn't hear the prayer at all. But they were together and they were all, yes, this, this is truth. This is right. This is who we are. This is who we're meant to be. And in fact, we can't do it if we're disunified. We are together as God's children. We're unified within the church and we're unified as we scatter as well. Unified in purpose. And then, of course, the final thing that I notice is that they were filled with the Spirit. You know, when, I think when we look at the situation, when we, when we actually, when we gaze at our problem and glance at God, it is too hard. It's too much for us. And that is true. And when, when you consider God's call on your life, God's call on the life of your church, it's too much for you. It's too hard. It's impossible. You need to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> It's, you just got no hope if you're not. It's not enough just to pray a prayer and be accepted um, and have your ticket to heaven and just cruise through life doing whatever you feel like. When you're, when you're hit with the mission of God, there should be this desperate sense of hopelessness that I cannot do this, God. Fill me with your spirit. And so just want to finish with three simple questions for you as you think about your own life in light of this prayer. The first question is, which you can't see the full of there again, but how much, that must be some Australian UK technology thing going on there, but anyway. <laughs> Upside down, yeah, nice. <laughs> Getting to the conclusion of the sermon, it's meant to be a spiritual moment. We're making jokes. Anyway, how much is your story submitted to God's story? I think often we live our lives going, here's the story. And for those guys who are finishing school and college and everything, here's the story that I want to write, God. Bless it, please. Make it happen. Now, that's, that sounds good, but it's actually very different to saying, God, what is your story for my life? What is your story for my city? What is your story for the, my part in your world? And how do I submit myself to that? It's subtle, but it's really important. And so how much is your story submitted to God's story? Is Scripture alive and active in your life? You notice that the prayer that they pray here is just saturated in Scripture. They're quoting Scripture in prayer. The reason they know the story is because they know the Word of God. And so how much is Scripture, not, not just known in your head and you can quote it and you've got all the memory verses, but how much is it alive and active in your life that you know the story of God because you know the, you know the story of God? And finally, in this age of individualism, how much are you committed to the unity of the church? Again, again, in my country, and I'm, I'm sure it's different here, but in my country, people come to church for what they can get out of it rather than what they can contribute. We, consumerism is rife in the church. 
It's not the picture of Scripture. It's not the picture of the New Testament. People come with that servant heart wanting to bless and serve one another. And I also think the reason why the first believers met daily is because the external pressure was so great that they were so desperate for each other. They, was, they still had a mission to be in the city, but they met daily because they were so desperate to be connected to one another and to be unified and be praying for one another so that they could be more greatly and effectively equipped and filled with the Spirit to then go and scatter into the city. And so for them, it wasn't once a week like it is for us. It was daily. And so how committed are you? Do, do you see the, the fullness and the overwhelming picture of the mission of God in the city and you look at your church and say, I can't do that without them. I can't do that without the Spirit and I can't do that without my brothers and sisters in Christ. Just take a moment to let the Spirit ask you those questions. And then I'd simply like to pray this prayer over Salford Ilham. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant by the Spirit, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And God, with those words, we just are aware of the external situation in the UK and in Australia. And it might not be on a, um, on a political stage. It might be the workplaces we find ourselves in. It might be the schools we find ourselves in. Wherever we'll be tomorrow, God, there are external pressures at work. And, and we can see the truth, uh, a, a true feature of your story throughout history is that people, even sometimes your own people, stand against your purposes. And they certainly did that with Jesus when they crucified him. And yet, it was your plan. It was your story. And so, God, with all of that considered, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, as happened, we pray would happen each time we gather, that you would fill us Holy Spirit, that you would give us everything we need in word and deed to be your faithful, scattered servants throughout this city, that people would see and praise our Father in heaven, scatter us like salt, shine through us, as you fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.